0: <laughs> Welcome to another episode of the Ultra Speaking Podcast. Today's guest I'm super stoked on, uh, not because he's an ex-engineer at Microsoft or at SpaceX, uh, but because now he has a career of roasting people who work at Microsoft and SpaceX and all these other tech companies. The one and only Jesse Warren has taught improv at Ultra Speaking. He does stand-up from what I hear five to six nights a week, which is insane. And uh, in my opinion, one of the funniest people on the planet, but also one of the greatest teachers when it comes to comedy. Uh, He's got a cohort-based course on the structure of jokes, on being funny, on adding more humor. And today we're going to explore all these topics around Probably what's one of the most important things in speaking, which is uh, yeah, your sense of humor, your ability to express that side of you. So I'm super stoked on this conversation. You can find Jesse with millions of views on YouTube. He's a regular on the Cut. He's basically a pretty big deal. But today I want to go, I want to go deeper, and I want to get to know the human being. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Jesse Warren.
1: That was like such a stressful intro. Um, It's I was noticing how like the like I felt so like flattered and like grateful for like the nice stuff you're saying. But like simultaneously, the more stuff you piled on, my body was like actually like it was inducing anxiety in me, you know? Perfect.
0: Because that's the state. That's the state that's so relatable to to all of us is is that pressure, the pressure to right. deliver in front of people. I'm excited to have you here, uh, specifically because so I've seen you run a few improv classes. Um, you run a course for Ultra Speaking, and you also did a team building event for uh right. the leadership team at, at Ultra, which is really cool. So um, I think improv is one of those things that everybody is really curious about. So I want to start there. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, like, what did you notice? You, you've taught improv at ultra speaking.
1: Uh,
0: and everyone who did that class did the fundamentals course. So they, they learned a, a related skill around speaking that has nothing to do with improv, but was there anything that you noticed in, in teaching improv at ultra speaking? That's maybe a little bit different than maybe other students you've had.
1: Totally. Yeah. I think I said, I I said this in the classes because it was always pretty, uh, Shocking how like eager to just jump into stuff that they were like they had already gotten over this like thing that usually takes a few weeks to get over, which is like um, the willingness to like uh, fail and like uh, just dive right in to mm. like a pretty difficult or not difficult but like very uncomfortable exercise. Uh, and I really, I really like that. I think that. If I could go back in time, I would have like, I would have, because I started by doing improv, I would have done some kind of like improvisational speaking course without like some kind of pressure of like having, incorporating some comedic element into it and then gradually increase the complexity and then done an improv course, which is like, Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. ultra speaking, but now with this increased complexity. And then I would have gone to stand up where like, there's, there's even more of a, specific thing you're trying to elicit. Right.
0: I want to get to stand up too, but you're you're talking about the pressure of just diving in, which I think is a big barrier for people with improv. And that doesn't really even have anything to do with this, almost the skills of improv, the, the niche skills that's just getting over the, the, like, this is so uncomfortable. I don't even know if I want to be here right now. How do you, how, how can people develop in that area how can they overcome that discomfort
1: dude well i can't advocate that you do what i, I when i took my first improv class dude i showed up drunk to every class <laughs> okay, yeah. I, I would chug six shots chew a fuck ton of gum and i would just be way i was so uncomfortable and i'm not even like a drinking guy i wasn't even back then i just couldn't get myself to do it without it and then I would, but like I was still like strategic about it. I would taper. So like, okay, so six classes first class, five the next one, and then by like, the end of ah, it, I did my last class. This over. is so,
0: what James Clear talks about in like micro improvements on a daily basis.
1: Are you right? It's, yeah, yeah. That's except like that's like not like what I would tell other people to do. I guess why wouldn't I tell somebody to do that? But that's what I did anyway. Um, you don't need. I don't, I don't know. I, I was like a young, I was a like young insecure man.
0: Um, yeah. Really? I think
1: to Greg. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah. Well, it's surprising, right? Cause you, you strike people as a young secure man now.
1: Really? Dude. I, I'm so still, all I'm doing is like, like internally is just criticizing my, just being really insecure, like I'm way more secure than I used to be. And I think like this, this, some of the skills I've acquired help with that. But I, I think that this is like my resting default state. Resting insecure. insecurity. Yeah. Yeah. Insecure so, and so anxious.
0: What's the relationship of that with comedy? Is there a place for anxiousness and insecurity in being Dude, funny? I've
1: been thinking about this recently and I haven't formulated like a cohesive, um, philosophy on it but i'll 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 share with what i like have so far which is like comedy is like social tension management that's one perspective there are a bunch of different perspectives you can have on it There are like four leading hypotheses in why people like laugh one of them is around like tension right so like a joke a a joke is a build-up Mm. of tension and then a release of tension Mm. right so i'm super in tune with like tension in social contexts I've, because I've, I'm extra sensitive to it. like, I uh-huh, really uh-huh. feel it. Uh, so if you can recognize where tension is, that's the first step to releasing it. Uh, uh so what comedy has actually helped me a lot with is, uh, trying new stuff and being more secure about trying new stuff. Because if you are, the thing about failing at a new thing is like, for me, Uh, I feel embarrassed if I fail at it because there's this tension now, like you just failed, but you actually, there's a way to not be affected by that tension. And if that's failing gracefully, like utilizing that tension and then breaking it. So if you are good at comedy, you can actually try new things, fail and use that tension to your advantage. So there's no Uh, real failure because uh, if you, if you do good, you do good. But if you fail, you do good right? So the so, the, fa-
0: the failure becomes the, the pivot, the focal pivot uh-huh. of the next opportunity for humor. Yes.
1: Yes. And that's, that's something I've been thinking about recently. How like, it's, I really, I still feel scared to try new things, but I really do just like do a lot of new things now. And, it, and if I fail at them, I'm really not that worried about looking at, embarrassed. I think it, Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's like you're, so you're in a way able to laugh at yourself in a way, able to diffuse the discomfort of tension by, by applying the skill of comedy to it by mm-hmm. almost, mm-hmm. uh because I think the default is to, is to try and hide it or right. try and uh not acknowledge it.
1: Right. But like the, the skill is like, literally saying the thing that everybody is thinking right so if you fail in a, in a and you try to like not address it that's there's some tension there but if you fucking say it like that's crazy like it's so unusual to have somebody address exactly what everybody's thinking mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that like almost some, sometimes you don't even have to use a joke you can just say the thing <laughs> And yeah. then the, like people are like, oh, he gets, he's yeah. fine. He he, yeah. he knows what's happening and he's fine. Cool. We can all relax again.
0: Talk to me about the courage of being funny. To me, it feels like every joke is putting yourself on the line and maybe <laughs> saying, <laughs> saying something that, totally. that has a risk to it. So yeah. how do you build that courage? Huh?
1: When I when when I started doing stand up, I wasn't uh like a funny person who was doing stand up. So a lot of people like get into stand up because they're funny and they're like looking for an outlet to be funny. I got I did stand up because I wanted to learn how to be funny, right? So it's a completely different motivation for me. Hmm. So going into it, I knew I wasn't going to be good, and I wasn't good. And relative to every even relative to other people who were new at it, I was very bad. Uh, so, because it it wasn't part of my identity. Um, but I, I, I really trust that if you practice something, I have enough data in my, the rest of my life to suggest that when I've been bad at something initially, like even particularly bad relative to other people who are new and bad, that if I keep doing it every day, that I'll get good and I'll actually get good fairly quickly fast. Like it won't, I'll see progress. Hmm. And, uh, so I just really trusted that this isn't forever. And I've seen what the other end looks like. Like I have funny people in my life and I've seen just how like useful that, that skill seems to be. So I just, I just stayed fixated on, on that. And I would and when you do something every day, which I, from the jump, I did it every day like wow. every uh, like so you go day. to
0: open mics and test out yeah
1: a couple times a night uh often wow. and uh there there uh, there's a time where i think i did like 200 days straight where i didn't take a single Jeez. day off uh and when you do something every day like that you just become you adapt or die right so it's like you know you're people who like run i, I know uh somebody who like runs like 10 miles a day and like a lot of people are, like you're overtraining you know you're uh your body can't recover but like it'll either recover or it'll die so uh-huh, my brain uh-huh. will either become this thing that's can handle that life the feelings all the ups and downs associated with, with it or it will die because it's doing it every day so uh so yeah that's that's what I did
0: so 200 days of stand-up in a row at one point just consistent deliberate practice and you right. started at a place of uh, I'm not funny. This is not part of my identity. I want to learn the skill of becoming funny and becoming good at stand up. Uh-huh. Uh, what did you notice over the 200 days? What changed for you?
1: <sighs> Pru- quicker than you might think, you start to become uh, comfortable on stage. But what you think is comfort on stage. Well, later you'll look back and you'll be like, "I was so deeply uncomfortable," but it, it, that doesn't matter. All that matters is that, like, at least it's like tolerable. You're not like blacking out because uh-huh, uh-huh. when when most people do stand up for the first time, I've like seen this happen a few times. Well, like most times, they're like, "I blacked out during that performance," and yeah. that's that will yeah. happen. Uh, that's normal the first few times you do it, but you, you're again, your body will adapt or die. So, like you if you keep doing it, you're not going to black out every time. Every time. Yeah. 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 Um, your body will, you, you just don't have enough resources to get that like worked up every time. So your body will start treating it like it's just something that it, that it does. Um, yeah. What and, was the and what else?
0: Yeah. It's like, you're getting more comfortable. So you're building, right. you're at least now able to like have your wits about you. Um, right. But, but where, what about, improving at the skill? How did, what did you notice or, yeah. um, how did you evolve as a comedian?
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one of the things that can happen early, cause you start with no jokes. That's the, that's pretty crazy. Cause even if after doing this for years, I did a three minute open mic set. Um, and I'll, I'll do this, but like, oftentimes you want to open with something you kind of know works so you can just get the audience to trust you and then that way you have this barometer for how the rest of the jokes uh-huh. hit uh-huh. so how does right. it do relative to that one that i know does this yeah, good or this a baseline this joke yeah but you have not none of that uh going into it so the first you know a uh, few the first 200 days like you said um like i i developed some lines that i knew worked and you can kind of intersperse them throughout. And that gave me something that gave me a new type of confidence because, uh, you have something that you, that has a high likelihood of working at some point. So you worst case, you don't do a whole set to complete silence, which that idea is just so threatening. Wow. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But, but then sometimes you like, you have, you're like these jokes work and then you do like a bar show in front of two people, and none of it works. Uh-huh. And then you're like, "Well, like, like, what do I do now?" But that's cool, also, because you have to adapt or die. So, like, you try, you you try something, you try something, and some people will actually plow. I've seen this; all, all, they plow through the jokes that they they think should work. But when I'm in that context, I will abandon jokes immediately and do anything else. I'll do. And I'll try to just be in the room because when you're talking to two people, they don't want to hear a monologue. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, That was my issue. I did stand up once and uh, I really struggled to, to find my voice. Like I spent six weeks in a class testing out different like jokes and I wasn't like a a jokey person. I could only like really just speak and tell stories and try to intersperse humor. But because it was so pre-planned I couldn't find my natural humor because like the jokes right. were, were stale to me. You know, <laughs> I, I had, I had done them. And so the whole time I was watching like all the people, uh, in the class at the final performance or at like some bar and they're all crushing it. They all seemed Whoa. to me like super into the, their element. And I just felt like I was a, uh, an ultra speaker <laughs> trying to give a speech. Uh, at a comedy club and wow. it just like it was not it was not my jam.
1: Well you did it I mean once, right? Like what like what a, what um one data point, you know? I thought yeah. If I I mean that's why the attrition rate for stand up is so high. I think it's like it's like mm-hmm. absurdly high. It's like ninety eight percent or something. Uh but like that first experience it like is really <laughs> uncomfortable for people that they never want to do it again.
0: What would you recommend to most people if they, if they had to go in one path, is it improv or is it stand-up?
1: Depends what their goals are. So, yeah. So this, so this is um, quite a point of contention among uh, people in comedies like stand-up versus improv. I'll, I'll tell you what, Cause I, cause I do both and most people don't do both. They like pick a lane, but what I, what I hold in my head is this hypothetical ideal uh, that I will never reach, but I would like it to be such that when I'm like, I do stand up because when I'm writing jokes, hypothetically, I want to reach this point where the way I write is so natural, authentic, and conversational. Mm. And that's just the way that my writing mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. simultaneously. I want to attack it from the other end where my impromptu improvisational speech is so concise and dense and laconic as though I had spent a bunch of time writing it. So for, to me, I have to attack this from both uh, the sides and then, I'm, and, I'm, and hopefully they coalesce into this thing, but I will never reach that thing. That that mm. thing will be is impossible. So that, so that's how I frame my thinking around both of these uh, art forms, and I, mm. I look at them as as tools. Like this, this has been kind of useful for me. Like funny is not like a particularly particularly big part of my identity. I actually never think about it, and I actually I I really hate uh, introduce. Like I, I I don't bring it up. I uh, resented you while you were introducing me as like a particularly funny person. And the word that I get most of the time is. The word that I get to describe me is intense, which is like, mm-hmm. that's, that makes more sense to me. I was getting a tattoo that I got my first tattoo the other day. Oh um, Nice. Yeah. Congrats. It was, uh, it was cool. Thank you. Uh, and the, the tattoo artist was lower like, back. yeah, you seem like a, what's that lower back? No, not lower back dude. Ankle. I got to like start really like the incremental stuff. I've been putting this off mentally for so long. So I was like, what is the smallest thing i could do that will just get me to do this so i got like a, a small tattoo on my ankle uh lower back yeah i don't know maybe someday i don't get yeah. i i actually think that's kind of cool that would be cool for like a dude to have like a like a traditional i, I don't know maybe maybe not i'm gonna break but stereotypes I, I haven't seen it seen but you gotta yet.
0: you gotta work your way up the body
1: yes yes uh but the tattoo artist said that i seem chill and i was like what about mm-hmm. me Mm-hmm. couldn't possibly give you that impression because i i i, I wasn't blink- like look at my eyes dude i'm not blinking man i'm like revved up on just yeah. endogenous dopamine this is my default state uh and and why what was talking? what was i talking about well,
0: that they don't know of- that you're practicing stand-up six nights a week and like are religious about your workouts like they don't see that side of you they just
1: right what was the thing and we were talking about this because oh yeah. because i don't like the 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 the, like having that be the context. And I don't know if there's another art form that's like, maybe speaking is like, oh my God, probably definitely being like, I'm a speaking coach. Like, like that sets this tone for an expectation sure. for how that conversation will go. Right. I hate all of that. Dude. Yeah. I hate it so much. If I could go without ever having that impact, the context of a conversation that I'm having, I would vastly prefer that. I don't like it.
0: Do you think speaking or, uh, being funny and just sense of humor, do you think it's a, it's a mindset? Do you think that it's like a, a state of being that like, if you're in it, everything comes out of your mouth kind of has that flavor Mm -hmm. versus like, it is a, I don't know, a tool or a skill.
1: Oh, interesting. Uh, I am partial to viewing kind of everything as like a tool and a skill i i i experienced the thing the the former thing you described from time to time but i believe that's only because of the latter and i think it feels cooler to think about stuff in this more like kind of woo woo like flow statey type way but practically it's not ever what i do for myself or like tell other people to focus on because it can when people would tell me to focus on that when I was new at stuff, it was really frustrating because I didn't know what to do. So I I so I tried to break it down break the thing down that I want to do as actionably and concretely as possible and fixate on that. And if the other like really cool part shows up, man, that's awesome.
0: So help me help me break it down for people listening. Especially I think in the world of improv, because my sense is that um my sense is that people want to feel more expressed at -hmm. work and with, even with like social situations, they want to feel more like themselves. And I, Mm -hmm. I suspect that sense of humor is like a part of everybody's identity in some way, but it's not being, it's not being expressed. So Uh how can people start improving in that area? How can they express more of their humor in scenarios where they just, they don't really even know what to do or where to start
1: uh yeah the for me, the thing that's helped the most is literally just consuming the highest quality comedy content available online every day like the how I start my day is I'll listen to top tier comedy podcaster stand up every mm. day. that's what I do mm. and it's fun too like you i don't I don't just do that because I think it's like this discipline <laughs> it's really cool yeah. but that's like you'll start and you'll start figuring out which comedians like feel like there's a part of them that matches like a part of you. Right. Like I, I like a lot of comedians, but the ones that I come to over and over, I come to because I see a part of me in them Uh and that I can take, I can take that. And I'm not even like, not even, I'm not even talking consciously. Like If you just have that playing in your headphones, as you start the day, like there's this phenomenon where I've noticed where if you go to a comedy show live comedy show stand-up comedy show after the show look around as people walk out look around what like look at how many jokes people are making look at how mm. everybody adopts a specific mm. cadence they're all they all have a cadence and they're all cracking jokes and it's uh, beautiful and it's it's really cool and they're it's just their mirror neurons just firing out they're in mm. that like something's happening and the the bummer is that that happens like once every few months for, for them. So they, right. they, they they get that And But like people don't watch stand-up that often. That's okay though. But if you really want, like it's cool too because you can pretty quickly differentiate yourself by consuming stand-up every day. You, you'll automatically start doing that every day unconsciously. Just a cadence, a rhythm. You'll develop your own. You'll take take parts of people you like and it'll inevitably become tinged with whatever just is the way you you talk. Uh, and, and that'll just, that's the first place that I would start.
0: So it's kind of like,
1: you don't even know what you're going to shoot for unless you have like the people you like hold. Right, right. So you're,
0: you're saying like feed your brain with inspiration with, uh, uh, and, and subconsciously you'll start to kind of like absorb that energy that Mm -hmm. then -hmm. what?
1: then do it then do some some form of uh depend well it depends what your goals are right i think an improv prof class is a great place to start i think if you want to get funnier and you you really want to start at like a start at a level that would make you feel you you want to build up wins and i think that's why part of the reason why i would even if I wanted to do comedy, I would start something like ultra speaking. Because if I'm funny in that context, I'm feeling wins already. Because m- most people don't go in thinking, like, this is how I'm going to be funny. Mm. Uh, so the, the context, again, there's no expectation for humor.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think it's hard to test your humor out in scenarios where, you're, where you've spent a lot of time with the people. Where the people already mm. know you right. well because you kind of feel like I'm going to try on this new identity that you haven't seen before, (laughs) but you've, you've seen me for hundreds of reps where I'm not that person. So the fear is you're going to judge me harshly because I'm trying to be something that you've Mm -hmm. never seen before. Yeah,
1: totally. Yeah. That's why it's cool to join like a cohort or an improv class or just go to an open mic. Yeah. I think that stuff's great. Yeah. Yeah. Because, people don't have that context for who you are.
0: So if we kind of follow this train of thought and and are sort of creating a formula, so you want to become funnier. Step one, start absorbing content that makes you laugh, that seeds your brain. Uh, Eventually, it will start to infect and affect the way that you operate. Maybe step two is to join something that's outside of your regular interactions that so you have like a space to practice, whether it's through right. speaking or through improv or through open mic.
1: Right. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll tack on uh, a step zero that might be useful that I did as well, which is I I wanted like a set of tools to be able to, when I'm listening and consuming this high quality comedy content to understand why it's working. Like when mm-hmm. you hear it, it's still helpful to hear it because you'll subconsciously be able to just internalize some of it and use it. But for me, it was way more useful to understand why a joke worked. And then when I heard a joke that worked particularly well, I would reverse engineer it in my brain or on paper to know exactly why it worked. Cause then I would have this abstraction that I could then map onto, uh, things that I, I thought were funny. I would have this, um abstract joke structure that is devoid of like the so so i'm not actually like taking or stealing a joke from somebody else i'd have this this abstraction that i can map onto my own Mm. experience Mm. and that that's that's useful to me because most people don't know why especially if you're funny like innately or not innately i don't actually think it's but like from a young age maybe like you were just around it and you internalized it Uh, you, it's, you, you, you just are that like people are funny on accident all the time, but I don't think they know how to replicate it. So what was helpful for me, like songs, like all jokes have a structure and, Mm. uh, to demystify that it was, was really helpful for me.
0: What's the general structure of a joke as an example, what's like a classic one or one that you've deconstructed?
1: Right. Well, so the fundamental elements are. Uh, so, so everybody knows setup and punchline, but the thing, I think some people, most people know this too. It's like the setup, the function of the setup is to create some kind of expectation. And then what uh, you want to do yes. is shatter that. Expectation. Yeah, yeah, I like and that's that. That's what a punchline is. Right. So uh, that's the fundamental mechanism behind like what every laughing moment is. Mm. Um, Yeah. Like I'll I'll just map this onto something to to ground it. Uh, let me think of a joke. Oh, here Anthony Jeselnik joke. You like him, right? I think you said uh, think he's, he's well. He takes this to an extreme where you just you think he's gone one way. Exactly. And, uh. Exactly. That's why he's really useful uh, to dissect because there are like these really isolated instances of like really high quality joke structure. Uh, so he's a joke where he says. Uh, I've spent the last two years looking for my ex-girlfriend's killer, but nobody will do it, right? So that's <laughs> a good joke, right? I like that joke. Good joke structure. Because in the setup, you're like, this guy is trying to avenge right. his dead mm-hmm. girlfriend. Right? He loves her and he wants to avenge yeah. her. And then you f- you find on the punchline, the whole thing is flipped. The whole narrative yeah. is 100 percent flipped you're not even just learning something new and being surprised you learn that your whole worldview is com- is diametrically wrong yeah so yeah. You, you he doesn't not only does he not love her he wants to kill her and she's not dead she's actually alive so right. you you learn these everything you thought you knew was completely wrong opposite wrong so you learn those new things at the end, yeah,
0: and that's part of the the humor is you're almost laughing at yourself and how quickly your mind assumed all these right. things that yes. uh, necessarily weren't weren't forced by the sentence. There are other ways to interpret the sentence, correct? Once once you have context,
1: right, right, right. And it's so funny watching like smart people listen to jokes because they'll try to laugh fast. Look at how quickly my mind like got Uh, it you know interesting
0: huh i'm curious about we're talking a lot about like joke structure and um building the skill of being funny and i have this other suspicion that everyone is naturally funny in a particular context, whether it's with their family, they grew up cracking jokes, or with their best friend. Like, I'm all—I don't want to talk in absolutes, but I—I I dare to say that most people have a sense of humor and have experienced being funny. Uh huh. And so, one of my desires, kind of at ultra speaking, is—is is to always like shortcut the path. And instead of learning right. something new, yeah, just like that's... do the thing you already know how to do just yeah. like, but it's hard. And I'm curious your thoughts on this, like, Hey, do you agree that everyone has this kind of like inner sense of humor that already is there? And if so, how can you like, how can people start to sculpt it out of them?
1: <sighs> yeah. Yeah. I really wish that that had been my experience that that I was just kind of I had this latent sense of humor that uh, that I'm unearthing, um, and that there was there could be some trigger to like really just get it to to be showcased, but it was there all along. I that reflects zero percent of my personality. Really, zero. Yeah. Well,
0: if if I can. Uh, go into your personal life for a second i saw a video of you on the cut It's a good. video called drinking with with my parents something like that sure. yeah and uh your dad is really funny
1: <laughs> your dad is i learned that like watching you're... that video dude me and yeah. my dad don't talk that much so that's... like that, that that was really cool i was so well actually i want to actually like that's really cool that you said that i want to hear more about your perception well of that.
0: F- well first of all your dad is is um Yeah. He's, he's just funny. He, and he's what I call, uh, having a mindset of humor Mm -hmm. where I think he was in the mindset of like, I'm going to find opportunities to add lightness (laughs) or add levity. Um, and I remember laughing when, when he would like jump in and, uh, yeah, me too. Yeah. And so that's what I'm wondering is like, did, did, did that have any influence on you growing up? Did you absorb any of that?
1: uh possibly i i really didn't spend spend that much time talking to my dad growing up uh he's just a really quiet dude so when i watched that video i well one after that video i walked outside and i dropped down to my knees and i cried because that was the closest we've uh that was the most conversation like i think i like the most they've heard about me in my whole life i'm 30 dude you know like and people watch that. Like, oh, that's cool. Those people get along. A like, good, good kid, good parents. Uh, that's the. I've never told them anything about my life, and I know nothing about their lives. Truly, it's really strange. I thought this was the norm. Uh, I don't want to unpack that right now. That's not that useful. But like, that's the context for that. Mm. Uh, so I, I, I know now because I'm starting to like. Despite how uncomfortable it is, I'm trying to dig. I want to know about my family more and i want them to know about me so i'm asking them stuff and i'm learning some crazy stuff so like my dad i think values humor his he has a twin brother never knew him uh who was uh like a starving artist type mm-hmm. uh, and he was always like calling into like radio shows and trying to be funny and stuff so like i so there's there's something there but i, I don't I don't have any experience in my personal life where I'm like, I can remember looking back in high school and being like, yo, I made people laugh here. I was only socially anxious. I only did not have people who l- liked me. And then I made this shift to, d- to to try to change all of that. And that's only when I saw that stuff happening. Uh, so yeah, it just really wasn't my experience to, to be like, I'm getting back to my roots here.
0: So then- you're leading an improv cohort and you have students just like you come in. They were socially anxious in high school. They don't feel like they are particularly funny. No wow. one's really reflected that quality back to them. Right. And they decided, you know what, I'm going to make a change. Um, and I'm going to take an improv class by Jesse. What's what's your formula for them? What's your approach in tackling a student like that?
1: It's the only, the the only thing I know how to do and will work for me. It's it's by taking an engineering perspective on, on comedy and uh, really trying to ruin humor for them by, by showing them like every single, like, like I want them to be like a jaded magician, you know, like when like you watch a magic show as a magician, I imagine you're like this fucking guy, you know, I see what's happening there. That's, that's what I want the level of like scrutiny that, to, to ha- uh, for a student to have when wow. interpreting jokes.
0: Huh? Okay. So you're helping you. You're basically getting people to be aware of what they are doing as they're doing it. it. it
1: yeah. 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 Uh, that's, well, that's, that's what's useful for me. So I, uh, would first apologies. Somebody, uh, walked in the room and I told them to isolate this room for my, my team's here in San Francisco for some oh, nice. shows, uh, but they sh- they should not be here. Uh, so yeah. So what was useful for me is to, because there's no like core thing in me that I'm trying to like, just get out of my own way and let, you know, let, let loose. Uh, I, rather, I'm assuming I'm starting from nothing. Okay, how can I start with the very basic building blocks, and then try to build, build something
0: here? What do you think is like a common mistake? Because when people try first try to be funny, uh, I think they put extra effort yeah. in the wrong place. <laughs> yeah, agree. What do you notice? Like, is the mistake, and where do you tend to correct it?
1: I think trying to be Really jokey in improv is just a uh, like a response to anxiety, right? So like you you ha- you you're like pretty tense, and you're trying to be jokey to uh, alleviate some mm-hmm. of that tension because you feel mm-hmm. like you need to be funny, or you need to feel like you are funny like every so off like every so often. Um, so I, that's why I think starting with something like ultra speaking is great because when I even like when I do improv now I don't think about jokes uh i think like what i'm fixated on when i get into that scene is like the base reality what is true what is an interesting real life thing to explore and i trust that the rest of it will come out and be funny eventually but that's only because i've done the separate work of like the co- developing a conscious competence of joke structure and the, the work i've done there so the hope is that I've done enough of that, that some of it has moved from conscious competence to unconscious competence. So that when I'm focusing on these more grounded elements, it just comes through.
0: It's so interesting to me because your approach is so engineering heavy and it's, and it's very much your own. So I, I respect it greatly. And, and what I like about it is that it, it, it basically says you can have nothing. You could be the worst Mm -hmm. in this area, but there's a science to it. And if you just start studying the science of it and you put in the reps, then your subconscious will start to absorb it and you'll know what to do in the moment.
1: Yeah. It's uh, not a particularly sexy approach, but I believe it's one of the most optimistic things you can like I'm okay. so grateful of that. That's like the truth of it. That I really believe that this is the truth. So, mm. and if it's the truth, then what a magnificent world we live in because it's universally accessible.
0: It's so anti what I believe.
1: I know, I know, and I, you know, I thought about this going into uh, this conversation, and I was like, okay, how how much give do I have here? And uh, and, and it's, I love, dude. Oh, it's,
0: it's not even, it's not even anti in the sense of, I believe you're wrong. It's that I, my reality has been the opposite. Yes, it's right. about like, my dad's a funny dude. I, you know, like he's the Mr. Bean character in my life where he's right. just like, he knows how to make me laugh. And and cool. he kind of has a sense of humor and I grew up with it and I grew up testing it with friends nice. and, right. and getting this, that respect. Right. I could make my friends laugh, but I couldn't make groups laugh and i couldn't do that in the workplace mm-hmm. but i but i had the the centerpiece and then right. as i've grown more confident in other environments i've only seen that centerpiece grow in myself
1: mm-hmm. and well, this so that's the experience of most stand-up comics right it's the, the 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 challenge is to transpose making their friends laugh to making general audience laugh because that's not not a one-to-one relationship but right. that's the skill they're learning how to move it over and generalize it to a contextless environment because with friends you have a shared context with a group of strangers Mm. you have none so how do you create that context so that you can regrow recreate that context so that you can thrive uh completely opposite experience for me i started i didn't make my friends laugh i started doing stand-up all my friends said why would you do stand-up you're like painfully unfunny and I say, well, I'm going to learn it so that I can apply it in real life. And that's what I've done over time.
0: Wow. The yin and the yang approaches right. to uh, to comedy.
1: I think that's cool. I'm glad that there's multiple uh, approaches to this. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and right. So some people will resonate more with your experience because like, if you really have something to start with, maybe you don't want to start it. At Although I think it, it's useful for everybody. So, you know, get to the basics well, of like totally. the foundational mechanisms of, of anything really that they're trying to learn. I think it can only help. Yeah.
0: I mean, I think exactly like you, it helps being good at something and knowing why you're good at it mm-hmm. and being able mm-hmm. to break it down.
1: It's and, so fun uh, to, I, I hope it's fun for other people. Cause it's really like been the biggest joy, like the epiphany moment, like the, my biggest joys in life have been like these moments where I make some connection where I'm like, that's how that works. And so, uh, often it's some problem I've been ruminating on for a long time or, or not even like consciously ruminating on, but like it'll just click because I'm just doing it every day. When Mm. you do something every day, it's so fun to see things click.
0: Yeah. That's the, that's the secret, isn't it? Just keep Mm. putting yourself out there. I think it's important to also experience the, the feeling of having your, your humor not land and being able to like, be okay in that scenario or at least build up a tougher skin of of it's not as bad as you fear
1: Uh, it's pretty bad man it's really bad (laughs) uh i yeah it's really bad but what what's cool about getting good at comp like if you see a a really experienced comedian they're still trying new stuff so there are jokes that don't land but do they do they really ever bomb like that's a different question right because like uh when you're really skilled, you you basically get really good at like at addressing everything that's happening. And when you address it, like when you bomb, there's this tension when the joke doesn't land. But by addressing it, you alleviate really the tension. Last right. just through, through that. So like when you see really experienced comics do stuff that bombs, they don't really bomb.
0: What about in the workplace? Because that's really what I was envisioning. Like like less being in front of an audience, but more like being at ease being funny in front of your boss or your team members or like people you don't even know who work there with you.
1: Yeah. That's why I started. That's why I took my first improv class. I wanted to like, I had to give like presentations like a fucking AI startup and, uh, it made me nervous because I thought everybody was really smart, way smarter than me. So I wanted to like have some way to feel comfortable. Um, And I I think it's like putting yourself in like a more stressful situation that's similar to the thing you're trying to become more comfortable in is the best way to get comfortable in that, in that situation. Mm. Mm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Make (laughs) stretch your worst case scenario.
1: Yeah. I think that this is quite common actually in like the tech industry. Like there are like, because people are so like biohackery that, like, a lot of these tech guys are like trying stand up or improv, uh, and they're with no real um, uh, innate ability. And I think it's really admirable because what they're trying to do is put themselves in these deeply uncomfortable scenarios so that when they come back to regular life, they're more comfortable. Mm-hmm. Hey,
0: t- tell me how you got into this, uh, how you bridged the two worlds and created this this uh touring show where you uh-huh. effectively create roasts for for people in tech yeah how did you, how did that happen
1: yeah so uh so i, I co-founded a company called socially Inep, and it's a tech roast show uh so there's there's four of us and what we do is we go to different tech cities we're in san francisco right now uh we have a show tonight tomorrow and the next night the next week we're going in new york do a couple shows big tech city and we roast people who are um essentially acting as avatars for that tech scene and then we also do a lot of interactive roasts with like people in the audience just talking to them what company do you work at for and all the performers in my company they uh have they were they're ex techies ex engineers so we all have this shared uh knowledge and i think that's completely essential here and it's the it's the unique value prop for this Mm. uh service that we're offering
0: Mm. so you get it you get the the quirks and kind of the you've been on mm-hmm. the inside mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. how do you how do people respond to like essentially getting made fun of or favorably of their-
1: if you're if you're if you're not an idiot you know it's love like if you're not uh, not that's quite harsh but like if you're it's so, to me, clear that this is, like, a love and celebration of something. That's why, like, when you see a celebrity roast of this per- person, it's not like these people hate that person. This mm-hmm. this should be intuitive. I hope that this becomes intuitive. It It isn't always intuitive. Uh, but but when people, like, are like, whoa, that's, like, negative. Who would want to get roasted? It's like, I would, dude. I would. I would love it. I would throw me into any scenario that's like that. And it's cool that it's not for everybody. Um, I don't think that that's wrong. But uh, to interpret our intent as like to tear something down is just, it's just incorrect.
0: Have you ever had to apologize
1: for a joke? (sighs) I don't think so. No. No. Yeah, no. Um, We talk a lot about uh where that line is and i think we tend to err on the side of but it's like if you watch like roast battles where it's just stand-up comics roasting each other Mm -hmm. they get really really uh uh on pc and that's just like not where our audience is or where our particular brand of humor lies so we we what we do do some jokes that are very roasty it's just like that's not where my brain goes it never has been when i when i've been writing stand up i was never a particularly like offensive like Mm -hmm. i'm gonna i'm gonna make some kind of like edgy statement it's just not what my brain wants to do i don't think it's i I think it's funny when other people do it well but it's not my my style yeah
0: yeah yeah i think intent matters a lot and it's kind of my compass around if i ever cross the line that I trust in my intent enough that it's not coming from a a mean place. It's coming from like, Mm -hmm. I just want to be funny or I want to make you laugh place to where I can, I can apologize for it. I can go back Mm -hmm. to the intent and say, Hey, I messed up, but please know it came from
1: this place. Oh, totally. And when you're speaking of that, like that, like the times when I've had to do that is with my company, with my friends, like not to Uh, an audience, but uh like, like with your friends, you really, uh, feel comfortable. Like you, yeah, like all my yeah. guards are down. I will really say whatever I want. So mm. in those contexts, I've definitely been like, Oh dude, my bad, man. I had no idea that that was like the thing that, um, that, that, that that would uh, affect you that way. Definitely not my intent. I was, uh, yeah, I think I was just caught up in the momentum. I was trying to make a joke. Yeah. Sorry. Like I've, I've done that a number of times.
0: How would you recap this, this episode in a, um, in like a advicey kind of way. And I, I hate to put you in that position, but what's kind of your billboard message almost around, you know, not around the people who dream of being professional stand-up comedians or starting their own tech roasting company, but more around like the ultra speaking audience for whom I think the most important thing is around self-expression and this feeling of like, of less anxiety more ease more comfort like what's kind of the the billboard message that you you have for them
1: one is that uh it should be abundantly clear that um humor is learnable like like funny is a learnable skill it's a skill it's a craft just like anything else it's no different from music where you can become better at music so if you if you're of the opinion which i i'm continuously surprised with just how many people still believe this but it makes sense i think that there's that the, pervasive uh prevailing belief that like you're either funny or you're not i don't know why this exists for comedy mm. and not other skills like it's not like you're either a dancer or you're not a dancer right I guess sometimes the dancer one is like some people are like you have no rhythm. Well, okay, well, fucking learn it then, practice yeah, it totally. Uh, yeah. So, so that's like pretty foundational. I don't know. I don't really have that much advice. I, I, the only things that I try to do are like live in such a way where like a younger, like nineteen year old lost version of me like would do those things and sooner because I would have found them already. But I wish I had known some stuff sooner because a lot of every everything that. <laughs> I tend to consume content wise. Most of it is around this realm of like rediscovering some like childhood element of yourself, some childhood passion, some childhood talent, or like some rather than like building from nothing. And my, like I spent a decade lost and frustrated because I was listening to all this, like, well, what was my passion or like, what is the thing I'm trying to reconnect with? Cause all I did growing up did was play video games and nothing and not talk to people. Like, like really, I truly believe like I did not have like a starting point. There was nothing up for me to try to reconnect with. And that was so frustrating because I felt like everybody was had this thing. And then I didn't. And that I was just broken because of it. Like, it, it, so the, so if there's somebody who feels like they don't have that thing, like really don't have that, that it's, it's not. It's it's a, it's not uh, futile because you can start somewhere, and one of the best places to start. Like I, I know that no skills are superior. There's no objectively superior skill to something else. Like baseball is not superior to bass guitar, uh, or vice versa. But I do think that if you don't know what to do, optimizing for second order effects is a good place to start. And by doing something like stand up or improv the second order effects of doing these are way better than the second order effects of doing yo-yo or <laughs> or or, or, yeah. or anything else because like because what because what is stand up stand up is not like you do stand up you get better at stand up you do stand up you get better at a set of micro skills uh humor uh charisma confidence charm likability. ability and if you take that set of micro skills you you'll find that those set of micro skills I- exist in almost any Pursuit that you are that you could find yourself in. So, when in doubt, I would optimize for breadth of application of the second order effects of the skill that you're pursuing. So, if that's the case, well, for me, stand up and improv was very helpful. Some foundational health habit is like so obvious to me. It's like do some kind of exercise. Uh, the second order effects of, th- of that it cannot be understated. Um, yeah, yeah. I,
0: I love it. I love it. Super inspiring to to A, know that it can be learnable. B, know that it's super valuable. Uh, and C, to, to take that approach beyond being funny and that skill, but also being healthy and kind of the foundational skills that have big payoffs.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think that there are some things – that have a bigger payoff than other things, but that's just been my personal experience. Because I used to, I used to like play fucking like poker, like uh, you know, like and that was like a useful. Uh, that was fun and useful, but like when I got done yep. with it, I didn't really apply that skill that right, right.
0: Yeah, I think Scott Young calls the meta skills in ultra learning meta skill skills that have like yeah extraordinary side impacts on the rest of your life oh
1: interesting that's cool Ka-
0: kind of like speaking maybe like writing
1: yeah um, right you know
0: nutrition things like knowledge
1: that. management i think that's like yeah a big, right like, that's so Shut foundational up. for me if you don't know what to do like fucking create an operating system for your life start right. there everything right. else will kind of fall into place
0: right i gotta ask you um one last question you you and i had uh lunch once and yeah, we did Santa Monica. You, yeah, you came in a in a tank top. You were super ripped.
1: Santa Monica, wasn't oh, that I what know. you're supposed to do? It,
0: it is what you're supposed to do. You were super right. ripped. You got all the muscles. Um, I do want to talk to you about calisthenics a little bit, but I don't know if this is the place.
1: But <laughs> yeah, uh, how boring is that to most? <laughs> uh,
0: no, it's it's actually like what I'm learning in mm-hmm. in just getting stronger and spending more time doing exercise. Um, even the like repetitive ones is that, yeah, there are second order effects around movement and there's uh suddenly it becomes like, there's a flow to it too. It becomes its own sort of, of anyway, anyway, what I wanted to ask you was we were having, (laughs) we were having lunch, you're in your tank top. And, uh, I asked you because if you're, because you're an improv teacher and whatnot, if you were any good on first dates oh and right the thing you said to me was michael i know nobody better
1: <laughs> oh dude i said okay i said something along that lines and you you laughed a lot which was my desired outcome i was trying to make you laugh so i i think i said something along the lines of uh yeah man i can't really imagine that there'd be somebody who's better at it than i am uh you know mildly tongue-in-cheek i, I it sounds so obnoxious um, it's but hey uh, I, I don't mean it, by the way. I, like. There's some kernel of truth. Like, I believe that, like, I like have a good time on first dates. But uh, to justify like that type of absurd <laughs> statement, like, truly, yeah. like, what kind of freak would say something like this? I'm experimenting with, and I've always found it. Not always found, but you know, since I've been doing comedy, to found this to be the case. I think like absurd, cartoonish levels of arrogance is like such a interesting realm of humor totally. to explore. I don't see it that often. You mostly see self-deprecating. So it's such an interest. it's literally like a fascinating like curiosity to me, like both consuming comedians who do exhibit this tendency to utilize cartoonish arrogance as like a comedic device and then to try to weave it into my own life. And it's a mm-hmm. dangerous one too, because talk about like having humor be misinterpreted. Dude, I, like, I've, I've had scenarios where I've said some cartoonishly arrogant stuff, to have the other person be like, who would say some shit?
0: Yeah. Like, yeah, like, oh, yeah. Sorry, I, I saw, I like, saw your intro once on YouTube of like, um, you know, welcome to the world's greatest, you know, comedy show. And the, in the tech scene. I'm the world's greatest comedian, <laughs> Jesse Warren.
1: But even that was a self-deprecating joke because the so that, so that joke was, I was hosting the 2019 GeekWire award show, which is a tech award show, tech company award show. And I said something along the lines of, yeah, uh, welcome to the GeekWire 2019 Award Show, the most prestigious tech yeah. award show in the country. And I'm Jesse Warren, the best comedian <laughs> in the world, right? So, like, that's ironic, right? I'm saying I'm not good because TechCrunch is, like, you know, the or, like, whatever, uh-huh. like, GeekWire is second tier common knowledge, I think. Uh, shout out, I mean, I don't know, I mean to badmouth them. They're oh, great. Well, they're, like, well, great well, publications. Edit this part fantastic. out.
0: We'll send they're them a, a re-upped version <laughs> where you you say they're the. the
1: I think role. they're fantastic, uh, yeah. but uh, but that even the con the subtext there it's not particularly arrogant. Actually, I view that as a self deprecating joke. Uh, but like when you say something where you where, where it's ambiguous, whether or not the person who's saying right. it actually yeah. believes they're the shit. But th- yeah. you for it to be funny to me, maximally funny, y- it, you can't you have to not know whether or not they're serious. So like people totally. say. Je- When I talk about this, people are like, well, Jessel Nick does that. Well, I know he's joking. Like it's so, it's like, I, I know that's like a character to me. Mm -hmm, It's so obviously mm -hmm. a character. It's so, and I still think it's funny, but it's way more funny to me when you don't know. It's so funny, man. Yeah. That's just my personal. Yeah. uh, Yeah. I, and I know it doesn't resonate with everybody. So that's all, all the context around that particular moment at that kava, while we were eating shish kebab and, uh,
0: So I, the reason I brought it up, uh, was not to put you on the spot on your arrogance. Uh, it was to, to dig into that kernel of truth. Cause I think there's a kernel of truth there around you enjoy first dates and probably what you've learned from your investments in improv and stand up and everything have helped you in that just being in more, more engaging on dates. So for people who are dating, who go on first dates, like, What's something that you, you think works for you or what's, what's kind yeah. of a secret?
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. Cause my, because I spent so much time thinking about improv and stand up and jokes and stuff. It really does shape like how I filter everything in the world. So it, it, it inevitably is going to impact how I date. Um, I think a particularly illustrative recent example is I was just on a cut video that hasn't come out yet. It's like two weeks ago and it's a dating show. Uh, it's called the button quite a popular series each one gets you know millions of views and i've watched and it's very stressful to watch because the premise is that two people sit across from each other at the table and there's a button in between them and when that button lights up red and the two people are on a speed date but when that button lights up red whoever hits it first can eliminate the other person so if you don't like it you hit it and you get uh-huh. a new date and you get a new person to talk to uh-huh. but uh if you if it's going well, you can you know opt not to hit the button, and if both people opt not to hit the button and don't hit the button for ten minutes, you win in all expenses paid second date. So there's incentive wow. to not hit the button. Yeah. However, if you watch any of the episodes, everybody just leaps on that. <laughs> they fucking leap on it. They're just they want to protect themselves. It's survival instinct. Uh-huh. Uh, and what if you watch past episodes? What you'll notice is that people. Uh, you know, you you see what people say. It's I love like dating shows. I think there's a because you get to see something that it feels like you're not supposed to see. Yeah, how people uh, are uh, like, I can't I
0: can't I can't do it. I like I love it. I can't. It's too cringy for me because I'm like I shouldn't be. It, yeah, it's so vulnerable that uh-huh. I am not because I, I can see the insecurities and the anxieties and like
1: oh yes just, can't I love it. It. love it love it love it. So <laughs> so what what I saw was like okay yeah people you know. Uh, where are you from? Where do you work? What do you do? Right. Standard. Like that's, there's nothing wrong with that stuff, but, uh, because that is standard. Um, well, not because that is that all I know is that that's how most people handled that. I watched the episodes before I went into it. Um, that's not, and what's interesting is I, to me is that's not how by default I talk on first dates. So I went into this, I was going to, you know, treat these like first dates that I normally treat first dates. Like, so I don't come in with like these questions and then one step above that. So some people will use those standardized questions and then some people will like walk in with a pre-planned, like a uh, different question, you know, uh-huh. would you rather, right. you know, keg stand a, a fucking, you know, bottle of kombucha or get five of your mother's fingers chopped off and they'll be like, dude, this is like something they've never heard before, you know? And then they'll be like, "Dude, I got this one in the back pocket." Like you'll see their their face uh-huh, light up. They're uh-huh. like, "This is a good ass question." But you can still tell, and I think that there, it might be good. Um, but to me, I'm like, that, that's so clearly preconceived and so. And when I get a a question like that, I'm like, "How many people has this guy asked this to?" You know, it, it's like yeah. so. That's yeah, my yeah. first reaction. I don't know if other people think that, but what I was, I knew I was going to go into it without any questions but you got to talk you got to have some questions so you got to have something to talk about but i just trusted that i will have something particularly pertinent to that context so the first time i i walked in you know there's 10 guys and 10 girls all in separate rooms and then one by one you you know you come in when it's your time and i came in and i remember yeah i think i asked uh you know there's in the guy room there's a uh a bowl of treats uh all manner of different treats because there's 10 people and they want to be accommodating uh, what treat did you choose uh-huh, in your nice. bowl? yeah and uh you know i, f- I forgot what she said but there are you know salty treats sweet treats all different kind and i think it's quite telling you know what treat you select before this anxiety inducing mm-hmm. dating show mm-hmm. uh and and now you're navigating this new space that's very relevant and clearly isolated to only this context and now i'm talking about why i chose cashews dude cuz they're inexpensive like they're good if they're next to doritos like it's like a pretty clear value probably like that's a more expensive snack i'm trying to maximize my value here and i eat cashews and it's healthy. i i, felt good. It, I don't remember exactly what i said but like there, we got into this pretty heated not but in a good fun yeah, playful yeah, way yeah, of course dialogue about this thing that truly does not matter. Uh-huh. But but I get more out of how somebody talks about something than like what they're talking about. So yeah, I might not have walked away knowing what this person does for a living, but how they talk about their preferred snacking options tells me way more about right. what I'm curious about.
0: Totally. Uh, how much are they willing to engage in play <laughs> and be in in just kind of like a pretend world with you. Uh
1: huh. Um, it's fun. That's what. was fun for me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So. So to me that. Oh, I won the dating show. By the way.
0: Oh, come on. That's amazing.
1: Uh, so See? I don't there know. If, is. <laughs> I don't know. Nobody um, better. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, other people have won before too. But I. Uh, I. I did. Feel. I felt comfortable in that really uncomfortable context. And I f- think, cause after I won, I talked to the person who, you know, you, you both don't touch. So we, you know, hung out afterwards and she told me how, um, she felt comfortable talking to me and it was a very uncomfortable context. And I think, uh, yeah, I think, I mean, it's not a job interview, right? Like you're, there's some, something stressful about, having to talk about, and most people don't live for their work. And yet that's the thing, like the thing I try to do on an extended, like less speed dating type scenario after, you know, you know, I felt I've started to feel comfortable is I try to figure out what this person cares about the most in life, mm-hmm. because one of the biggest joys I have, like what I truly love doing is listening to somebody who cares about something Talk about it. I, I I actually don't know if there's something more I like than that. So uh, if I can get them, if I can figure out what that is, and then just pry, I love that. But what's mm-hmm. cool is that turns out humans love that, right? I love talking about what we're talking about right now. You've you've elicited the thing that I've talked I care most about in my life, and I could talk about it forever and I would like to. Uh, so. So, I like seeing that in other people. So, that's kind of naturally just what I've taken to doing on first dates is trying to figure out what that is. And seldom is it what they're currently doing at their job.
0: Interesting. And that can start with your relationship to peanuts versus Cheez Its. Mm-hmm. And that can, it can build towards something more meaningful. But what I notice in you is that your starting place is not. Pre contrived and hypotheticals. It seems to be like yes. you you use the tension that you feel. You use the yes in the present moment of what you both experience, and you try to like start somewhere real. Oh,
1: I forgot. Yeah, my first the first thing that I said because she goes, "How are you?" <laughs> Which is a fine way to start. But uh, you know, I think a normal person would have said good. But I think I said like, um, my heart rate is, uh unusually high right now I love and that. i'm i'm navigating a very like uncomfortable feeling and i think i'll get out of this uh when we start talking i have a good feeling right uh-huh. now yeah I, there's something along those lines i like i yeah. was just i just turned my attention inward and i just said what was happening yeah uh, and uh i just trusted that, that will uh, kind of work itself out
0: i love that that's very real that's very like um yeah, real and present is, are kind of the themes that I'm getting from you, which, which I really like.
1: Yeah, that that helps. But all of that is only possible because I did the uh, to me the the really labor intensive like uh, prep work that allows me to be this when I'm here. The the improv reps, the stand up reps, the yeah. The, like if I were you, dude, I would be writing way more raps because you're an excellent freestyler. But why aren't you writing? this right cuz right. like that to, to me you got to attack from both angles but you're, what you're doing clearly works so i just get different experiences like that would never work for me if i only did improv it would it really mm, wouldn't look that pretty
0: mm, mm. it's true that that my freestyles improve based on writing cuz you just absorb the things you're writing and then subconsciously it'll yes. come out
1: in, yes in and ways. that's what that's why i'm exci- like I, i've been trying to do more Long form, just writing, writing out my thoughts because I've noticed as I've been doing that, I've been moving from conscious competence of some pretty complex rhetorical structures that have just been bleeding into my speak. And when I have a, when I have something like, I'll I'll hear myself because I'm not thinking about what I'm going to say next, but I'll see it come out of my mouth and I'll go, "Whoa, dude, that was exactly in the structure of an antithesis statement or like a." Hmm uh diacopy like all these rhetorical devices that have like this very specific form um and everything has a form right like in rap there whatever the rap versions of that are and jokes whatever the joke version of that is but like i've seen it in rhetoric happen and i get excited when i see that happen
0: nice so you're the type of guy to (laughs) to go on a date be super in the moment be completely spontaneous and then you're also the type of guy to like look at the game footage after the date and review the structure of what worked and try and see if you can
1: find it's fun. Patterns. It's fun for me. Yeah, yeah. It's super fun. I love, I love watching stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. I like now, improving. I think it's fun.
0: Kate is asking when is the second date?
1: Uh When I am, am back in Seattle. So I think I flew out the day after that shoot was done. So we couldn't, um, we couldn't do it, but I I think in a couple of weeks it'll be, and I think I'll plot plan something experiential. I like experiential. Uh, dates. Oh, it's, like it,
0: you're planning it; it's not pre-planned by the. It's all expenses paid, right?
1: Yeah, I think they just you know we just give we just foot them the bill. You know,
0: so go to Europe, <laughs> take, take take a week.
1: <laughs> Pretty sure there's a cap, but yeah, I <laughs> I uh, yeah, looking forward to it. I think it'll be cool. I'm looking forward to seeing that video because it's um. They never cut it the way that, like, uh-huh, you would expect it yeah, to. Yeah, yeah, That's cool. So, I don't know. I may come off terribly. Like, like I'm saying all this stuff, like, fuck, yeah, I'm awesome. But, <laughs> uh, but like, when the footage comes out, and would be like, whoa, what's
0: wrong with uh, that? Well, you know? reality TV has a way of just bringing out the extremes in people.
1: Yeah, I love it. I love seeing that, man. I love cut. I love stuff like that where you get to see people. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about this because one of the things you you said you were going to – I don't – talk potentially talk about is like authenticity and i actually have no like useful insights on it but i do know that it's the thing that i care the most about seeing because my content consumption habits what i unconsciously gravitate towards is very strange it's like i would think that i would gravitate towards stand-up but i would way rather watch my favorite stand-ups in a podcast like an unscripted Mm -hmm. podcast but Mm -hmm. even more than that i would way rather see that person on the street in life not know that they're being recorded. So that's like the, that's like, and the reason why I'm, why I'm preferring one piece of content to the other is because those later pieces of content are closer to an authentic interpretation of who they are. Yeah. That's what I I see. So, So my ideal piece of content is my favorite comedian in a compilation of their funniest moments where they don't know they're being recorded.
0: Wow. That's a new show coming. coming to life. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how, how you get that happen, but maybe in the age of like everyone recording everything, it's going to be. More I think YouTube more is like,
1: YouTube has some, it's like, like a lot of the times instead of podcasts, I'll listen like to podcasts. I like that. I can't keep up with their like biweekly cadence or like it's bi whatever twice a week is. Uh, but so like there, there'll be people who are like best of this podcast for the month of March and I'll be like, mm. great. Like these clips will yeah, give yeah, me yeah. in 30 minutes them authentic and the funniest moments of them. So like that stuff I like. And I imagine because they're so popular that, you know, there'll be some new variation of that too.
0: Well, I'm going to chop this up into clips uh, right after we finish. Just Paste your face great on the thumbnail strategy. and, yeah. uh, and uh, maybe we'll get one photo with you shirtless just to like. Get a few more clicks.
1: It is something to marvel and, at. Yeah. It is quite, quite, quite astonishing what I managed to do with my physique. Yeah.
0: So, uh, anything for a like and a subscribe is, is our motto.
1: Is that, is that the altered thing?
0: <laughs> well, it, it hasn't worked yet, but, uh, but we're getting there. Jesse, uh, could talk to you for longer, um, but I won't. <laughs> I'm going to cut it here. Cool. It's been, a, it's nice. been a real pleasure and, uh, I learned a lot and hopefully, people picked up really the, the re reverse engineering side of, of comedy. Cause I love how you say it's a skill. And, uh, I believe that very much. So thanks for, for your time. Thanks for being here.
1: Good talking, man. Always a pleasure.
0: I'll see you next time.